0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the
1: stock market each day.
0: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
1: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials.
0: Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. This podcast is airing on Tuesday, March 3rd, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. Today is going to be a fun one in the consumer goods space not just because we're covering a really interesting topic but also because I'm joined in studio by Motley Fool analyst Maria Gallagher who is going to talk to us about one of the biggest trends that we've seen in consumer goods ESG. Maria, thanks for joining.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. ESG, I know you spend a lot of your time looking at it, and it's wonderful because I think it's an area that a lot of Fools here don't really cover, and it should be covered more. But it's been in the spotlight a lot for consumers for what feels like a really long time now. It still makes many people confused, though, because there really is no good definition for what ESG means. Um, when I think about why it's kind of topical right now, I get brought back to the Davos 2020 summit when it seemed like the idea of businesses, I guess, quote, maximizing profits was starting to give way to businesses that wanted to be good citizens. So um yeah, besides being an all-around impressive analyst, I know you spent a lot of time thinking about these topics. So I guess the question I want to ask first is just like what what is ESG? It might be like beating a dead horse at this point, but I know the definitions for different investors can be dramatically different.
1: Yeah, um, so ESG stands for environment, social, and governance. So it's an inclusive screening that helps you look at companies. So instead of um, exclusively saying like I don't want to look at sin stocks, which are generally like tobacco and gambling uh, and alcohol, it's saying I'm going to look at companies with these criteria and see how they interact with the environment, um, how they treat the world around them their social aspects, so how they treat their employees, the company culture, the pay, stuff like that. And then the governance, how is the board treated, how are the senior executives treated. Um, And so, when you look at all of those factors, you can decide then uh, if you believe it is a company with high standards or low standards within that ESG space. So, it really could be anything.
0: And for consumer goods in particular, I realize that ESG might be a little different for goods that are yeah actively consumed by people. So, how do you look at ESG in the, the confines of a consumer goods lens? Like, what should we be looking for?
1: Uh, so, when you look at the E, you can look at things like water use, energy use, carbon footprint. Um, so, if they're e-commerce based, I think that's a really big thing, is their carbon footprint. And then, when you think about the social and the governance aspects, thinking about things like worker treatment, and um, especially with those bigger companies, the safety conditions of factories, where the factories are based, uh, and then their tr- the worker pay and things like that. So um kind of lots of different areas to explore with the consumer goods. I can't help but think that this has been an issue
0: for a long time now though. You mentioned like worker pay and you know for a long time child labor was even legal here in the US and it didn't seem like people were concerned about it, at least not to the point where it would influence a lot of their investing decisions. So what's causing this renewed focus on ESG, at least in the consumer goods space?
1: Um That's interesting. So uh, millennials are now the largest spending portion of the population. So there are over 83.1 million millennials in the U.S. Two of them are sitting right here. (laughs) Uh, And millennials are actually much more likely to emphasize sustainable spending. Uh, So 66% of millennials say they're willing to spend more money on labels that are sustainable. 75% of millennials say it's important that brands give back to society instead of just making a profit. And so uh, that's true for millennials and then also Gen Z, um, which are increasingly the consumers of the economy. So, I think it's more reactive from the companies instead of proactive. It's the consumer ideology is changing. And so, then the companies are reacting to that.
0: Yeah. I, you say there's two millennials sitting right here. That's completely accurate. And maybe I'm a bad millennial. But when I think about my consumption trends, I, I wonder if I'm more that person. I, I don't tend to think about ESG when I'm making um, consumption habits, at least not explicitly. And I, I think about a lot of these retailers like TJ Maxx and Rossi talk about it about it a lot on this consumer goods industry focus podcast and those businesses performing really well. So when you think back to your consumption in particular, like how do you see this playing out in the average, you know, let's say 25 year old millennial
1: <laughs> female's life? Um, I think that millennials have this interesting juxtaposition where we love a good deal, but we also don't want to actively hurt the world around us. And mm-hmm. so I think something that's interesting to me is a lot of my friends um, care. It, so it used to be an ESG would exclude things like the sin stocks, like I was saying, like alcohol, tobacco and gambling. But a lot of people I know, those things aren't necessarily at top of mind. The environment is a lot more top of mind. Mm-hmm. So I've realized for myself when I buy clothes, I tend to try and buy sustainable brands. So, I will spend a little bit more if I think that uh, what the company is doing is helpful for the environment, or if they use recycled materials, or if they do something like that. Like I am more willing to buy that brand. Yeah. I want to
0: get into... I guess the perception you're getting about a little bit later when we talk. But for now, what are some companies that you see that are really doing ESG right and capitalizing on this? I hate to call it a trend because it's so much more important than just a trend, right? (laughs) I mean, it's our future. It's our livelihood. But what companies do you think are are capitalizing off of this movement? Let's say that.
1: Uh, So, Etsy is one that comes to mind pretty uh, initially. So, Just in case anyone doesn't know, Etsy is a consumer marketplace for homemade items. So you can get like a table there, you can get a dress, you can get anything, um, and you can connect with sellers from all over the country, all over the world. Um, And so one of the things with Etsy is 87% of store operators are female, and 75% of the operators consider their shop a business. So when you're supporting um, businesses through Etsy, you're supporting a female, which is exciting usually. And then they uh, also offset 100% of their carbon emissions. They plan to power their operations with 100% renewable energy. And then through that S and the G, the um, company itself, actually 50% of an employee base is female, and 50% of their board and majority of their executive team are actually female. So,
0: so you're telling me that uh, I actually have been consuming ethically then.
1: So whenever I <laughs> buy something off Etsy,
0: I'm actually making not just the uh, fun choice, but the right choice? Yes.
1: <laughs> you have
0: my stamp of approval for using Etsy. <laughs> and what about fashion? What should I be looking for when I'm buying? Clothes? Clothes.
1: Um, so the cyclical economy is on the rise because uh online resale is actually the fastest growing segment of the retail market. So it's projected to grow to 51 billion dollars by 2023. And the real real is a company that's really capitalizing on Wait, that. The, the real real. The real real, yeah. What's do you know the ticker for the real real? Is it is it real? It's real, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should have expected nothing less. <laughs> um, and so what it is is it's actually another online marketplace, but it's for consigned luxury clothing items. Mm. Um And so something with The real real is the greenhouse gas emissions and the energy savings of 87 million metric tons on top of you being a part of that consumer cyclical economy. So instead of buying fast fashion, um, you buy things that are already pre-owned, which is very good for the environment. So I think that's a pretty good one. And um, 60% of millennials also cite environmental concerns as one of the reasons to shop resale. So it's pretty popular.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So when you're buying stuff, there's always a Easier way. So when you're looking to purchase things online, Etsy is very clearly a company that has benefited from the ESG trend and is doing ESG well. When you're looking to buy clothes, they're real, real, um, which I, I still don't believe is a real company, <laughs> but it is. Uh, it's a great place to go when you're looking to get consignment luxury goods. What about other other things that you know you might think would. Are causing, I guess, bad emissions. I think, I think, I think cars being the big one.
1: Yeah. So, kind of a controversial topic all the time. But Tesla is actually. Oh,
0: you're gonna you're gonna get some uh, tweets at you now. <laughs> this is not
1: a, not a stance on pro or positive or negative Tesla, the company, but just what they're doing for the environment is pe- very positive. Um, so they're pushing electric vehicles to the forefront of the minds of car consumers, um, and then it's kind of pushing other auto manufacturers to keep up. So Ford, Volkswagen, all of these companies are now saying they're gonna have electric vehicles to compete with Tesla. So whether you like Elon Musk, hate Elon Musk, like the stock, dislike the stock, you can't really argue that they're not making an environmental impact, which I think is a net positive.
0: Yeah, I've talked about uh, Tesla a lot on podcasts, which is usually always a mistake. Um, <laughs> usually always is a you know counterintuitive way to put it, but it's, it's always a mistake. No, but you say you know it's not a stance on the company itself, but I actually think the points that you make about it being uh, a sustainable business is part of the biggest selling point for a company like Tesla, is the fact that these companies, and it's not just Tesla, the real, real, Etsy, um, companies that are taking ESG back into their own hands are looking forward five years or looking forward 10 years, looking forward 50 years, which for a lot of investors might be too long, but for someone who is a millennial, right, that's a perfectly feasible investment route for them, a 50-year investment horizon. It's kind of aggressive, but it's possible. These are companies that are looking off into the future and trying to build their businesses based off the future that they see happening. So, I actually feel like ESG investing, regardless of what the numbers say, it's Kind of taking a forward approach to your investing
1: strategy. I would agree with that, and I think it's a part of a competitive advantage. Is if a company, you know, doesn't have to think about spending all this money on PR, or because of like scandals like Nike, um, or if they don't have the high employee turnover because they have created a culture that makes employees happy. Like this is actually kind of a source of a competitive advantage when we look at these kinds of companies. And with that in mind, what are some companies that are?
0: really doing ESG poorly, that are maybe doing the opposite of looking forward five years or looking back five years and trying to build a business model off of what's been historical
1: president? I think one that springs to mind for me with that would be a company like General Mills. So General Mills has this really long history with these brands that are pretty iconic, but aren't necessarily the healthiest. And they tried to pivot a little bit from that. Um, They acquired Blue Buffalo, they acquired Annie's. um, So they're trying to go into like the dog food business and also the healthier snack food options. But it had it it hasn't worked super well. They had steady re- revenue decline from 2014 to 2018. Blue Buffalo has helped that a little bit, but I don't necessarily know that their legacy brands are going to be as popular in the next hundred years as they were in the first hundred years.
0: Is this just like a change in consumption habits? Is it making a conscious choice to eat healthier food, or is it just a decline in some of their legacy brands that people just—they're not necessarily making healthier choices. They're just not interested in General Mills legacy products.
1: Uh, I think it's probably a combo of both. I think a big part of it is uh, people buying things online too. So if you're shopping online or you're losing that shelf space, which is a big part of the brand recognition, would be on that shelf. And if you're just buying all your stuff online or you're buying just the Whole Foods brand or whatever the uh, store you shop at, if you just buy that organic brand or their regular brand, you might just not use the General Mills legacy stuff.
0: Yeah, private labels have definitely been yeah. on the rise. I I can't help but look, you shared your notes with me, and I can't help but look, but you've you called out We, the Yo uh yeah. yogurt. And I have to say, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of we. It's O-U-I, it's the French we, not the W-E, American English we. Uh, but I, I noticed the last time I was in the grocery store, they had a yogurt, or not yogurt, it was a yogurt. It was a almond milk-based yogurt. And uh, I tried to buy it, and unfortunately, the person who was stocking the shelves was throwing them out, because he said they had all expired.
1: That's unfortunate. I've had almond milk yogurt and I've had cashew milk yogurt.
0: And you don't, your face is not,
1: uh, I mean, I don't think they're good, but <laughs> <laughs> I just think, I mean, it's smart to try and pivot to people. So I'm lactose, lactose intolerant, so mm-hmm. I have to eat those things. Um, but I mean, they're not yummy. I would rather not be eating them. Yeah, and I don't know anyone who's really jazzed about Almond milk yogurt.
0: So part of the struggle for General Mills and and companies like General Mills, I, I hate to call them out, just totally independently because I think it's maybe an overarching trend with a lot of these legacy food players. Definitely. Um, you know, thinking about alternative meats, even uh, a lot of legacy food players trying to get into that segment of the market because they see optionality there. Is just trying to predict where consumption is going with a lot of people, and it seems like a lot of consumers are choosing to be more conscious, whether that be health, whether that be environmental, in the choices that they're making. Definitely, yes. And and getting back on clothing, because, you know, I, I kind of call it out TJ Maxx and Ross, and I don't want to make it seem like they're necessarily bad because I realize what they're doing is taking leftover inventory and trying to sell it. And there's an argument to be made that that's actually good for the for the economy and, and for the environment, because it's preventing those those clothes from being wasted otherwise. But what are some, I guess, retailers, and, and fashion in particular, that you see uh, doing ESG really poorly?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that, that they're actually helping the environment by saying, you know, we're not going to waste these clothing, we can give it to you at a discounted price. Um, so, I mean, Forever 21 filed for bankruptcy in September, so that's a pretty fa- uh, immediate thought, is Forever 21 in the fast fashion, just kind of doing it as fast as possible and mm-hmm. not really regarding the factories um, and the consumer habits. And then, I mean, Nike is kind of controversial because they do make, you know, recycled things and they have had some positive impacts, but then also they have um, some controversy with things like child labor and the way that they treat their factory workers. And so being in the public eye, is that one's kind of a mixed bag, I would say, with Nike.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's absolutely horrible. But one of the things he talked about a little bit earlier before we got into stocks was the perception that you had about a lot of these companies. And Nike, I think, struggles with perception to an extent. Uh, But it's something that I think is really important to ESG investing, because the perception that companies have in consumers' minds can drive sales, whether that be the perception that they're doing something to help the environment, they're doing something that's in line with ESG principles, but not actually. Or if they actually are doing stuff that's really good, uh, but not doing a great job of advertising it so you don't make those conscious decisions in your mind to consume. Uh, But a lot of focus has been on three companies in particular, which um, I guess I've really gotten into this space regarding climate change. That's Amazon, Google, and Microsoft coming out with these robust sustainability plans that are essentially saying that they they're going to improve their carbon footprint most of them to reach uh carbon neutral something they call carbon neutral over the next 5 to 10 years. So
1: what does that mean and is it a good thing does it change the way it's perceived in people's minds so carbon neutral, the basic idea is that when an organization is trying to take out as much carbon dioxide from the atmosphere as they put into it, so that can be done by things like planting trees to offset um, carbon emissions. And so the it, the goal is to kind of just achieve that net neutral to do as much good as you do harm. Um, I think it's interesting because the three R's are reduce, reuse, recycle, and they're listed in order of importance. So redu- reduce is actually the number one most important thing we can do for the environment. And so I think it's important to note that this isn't actually reducing any of their um, emissions. They're not doing anything to stop that. Or some of them might. I haven't looked too far into that. I know sometimes part of the plans is actually reducing Mm -hmm. carbon emissions. Um, But just offsetting carbon footprint is not actually reducing it. It's just trying to kind of make it a net neutral.
0: Yeah, and I think that while reducing, like you said, is probably a big part of this, I I think the bigger part in reaching carbon neutral is probably – getting those offsets, because a company like Amazon is really never going to be able, at least not feasibly over the short to medium-term horizon, going to be able to Reduce all of the emissions that they produce when they're shipping millions of packages to consumers um, every single month. So it's it's really challenging to get that first R. But why do you see these, especially these tech companies, right? Um, these tech companies that eh, they sell a lot of consumer goods, but why why do you think they're making
1: the move to try to become carbon neutral? I think uh, a lot of it's the public perception, um, so consumers really care about that, and they really want it. And it's interesting because it's another kind of juxtaposition where it's, I want a company to be doing good things for the environment, but I also want what I'm buying from Amazon Prime to be at my doorstep tomorrow. <laughs> so you want to feel good about what you're doing. And so if these companies get in front of it, you can say, okay, I maybe I'm not helping the environment by doing this, but I know this company is helping the environment, so it will just kind of increase consumption um, And it'll just increase, like we were talking about, that public perception. Whereas, especially with tech, there's a a lot of um, villainizing of big tech right now, I think. And so having some sort of positive thing is helpful to these companies. Be like, no, we're not doing all bad things. (laughs) And that brings up to
0: mind that concept of greenwashing, though. And I I mentioned it earlier, but it's essentially companies that will bring firms in to make um, small and unmeaningful changes to their businesses with the purposes of Having a great PR campaign that says, "Look, this company is now so ESG friendly, it's so green," and I I wonder—we see a lot of this happening. I'm not saying that that's what Microsoft, Amazon, and Google are doing by any means. I, I, I expect that they actually are making substantial changes, even if that is just buying carbon offsets. But what are a couple of steps, I guess, before I leave it here? What are what are some steps that? Consumers, so people like me who want to consume in an ESG and want to invest in ESG friendly fashion, but don't really know how to get started. What can we do to take that first
1: step? Uh, I think the first thing to do is just start doing your research. So don't really just take the companies by their word. Don't just read a headline that says we're doing this wonderful thing for the environment. Actually, read what they're saying and read what they stand for. Um, a lot of companies will have sustainability reports you can read. You can see if those sustainability reports are through. Uh, high standards or if they're just kind of saying whatever they want. So those are pretty good things to do is just do your research and figure out what's something you really care about. Like, do you care more about the environment? Do you care more about the treatment of workers? What is this thing that you really want to emphasize? Because – it's unfortunate, but there's no perfect company. There's no perfect investment. So you have to just kind of weigh the positives and the negatives of every company as you're consuming it, as you're investing in it. Say, do I think they're doing more good than harm? Do I think that they know what they're doing? That's harmful, that and they're trying to implement steps to help that. Um, all kind of, it's really up to your discretion as a consumer and as an investor. But just kind of think through how you want to spend your money because it's kind of your power in this economy is just how you spend it.
0: Oh, well, thanks for joining us, Mary. You've given me a lot to think about. Thanks for having me. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out, shoot us an email at fool.com or tweet us at mf Industry focus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass today. For Maria Gallagher, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks, and Fool on!